Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For this recording, I was lucky enough to sit down with playwright Margaret Perry, whose new work, Porcelain, is making its debut on the Peacock stage. In this podcast, Margaret talks about the years of writing Porcelain into existence, the art of disappearing and the textures of life woven into her characters. We go on to talk about the process of writing, a room of one's own and the only supernatural power worth having. Enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series, Margaret Perry. Hello, thank you. <laughs> um, it is the afternoon of the evening of the third preview of your show, Porcelain. Um, now, I know many a playwright wouldn't enjoy sitting in uh, an auditorium with their audience, but I saw you on the first preview sitting in the very brave third row. Uh, you're, you're smiling throughout. Um, <laughs> how much do you enjoy sitting in with an audience and, and what do you learn from them? Well, I didn't sit in the third row by choice because I was actually waiting to slip in at the very end. But then unfortunately, that meant that all the seats at the back where I wanted to sit were taken. So I had to sit there. Um, and w- the woman next to me was chain eating apples throughout the show. <laughs> so that I was quite see funny. That. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a funny first reaction because I much prefer to sit at the back because when you sit at the back, you can watch people react. Whereas I only had the sense of these two women beside me. But then last night I sat... No, not last night, Saturday night. I sat in the in the back and that was much, I felt much less. Oh, yeah, safer. Yeah, I don't it's like people. What my dream would be to be invisible. So watch people watch it. We have nobody know I was there. Okay. That would be my ideal. Well, we might get back to that invisibility <laughs> thing uh, shortly. Um, but porcelain is that rare find that is the stuff of legend already. An unsolicited script that went through the New Works department and was plucked from the pile. But before we get into that, tell me about the initial trigger for writing porcelain. Um, I wrote it, so I, when I moved to London, I got onto the Royal Court Young Writers Programme, and um, that was like a 10-week course where we meet once a week, and we, um, we actually did an exercise where people threw ideas into the room, and w- the idea was that you would write down three ideas that you didn't want to use yourself, and someone else would take one of your ideas and make it their own. So one, the one I picked up was a woman gives away her baby, and I had that, and I was like, oh... And then whatever happened, I just then kind of poured all my own thoughts and things that I was thinking about into that story. And that's kind of where it came from, I think. Um, And I I just wrote it because I wanted it to exist. I didn't I wasn't thinking about what it would what it would do or when if it would be on or I just. Yeah, I was going to ask you that about um, whether you write with an audience in mind, with with a stage in mind, with an, you know, or just that sense of completion. Now I would have. Well, because this was like my second play, I wasn't thinking about a stage at that point and I also I also wrote it to try and make it as low budget as possible you know because I thought we'll be in a black box room which is evidently not what we've got here um which is amazing um uh but now I think I think more about stages because I'm at a more like I've moved forward more in my career like I'd love to write a big play for a massive stage um like I think some somewhere like the Olivia or the Dorfman in, in the National Theatre in London like those are big stages and it's a certain kind of play that can go on that stage and I think it, it's a, it would be an exciting challenge, I think, to try and write something that big. And say then for Porcelain, because it's, you know, got such an Irish sense of mythology threaded through in it. So you didn't write it with a sense for an Irish audience. So it's, would you consider it an Irish play? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely it's definitely an Irish play, um, but not in. I actually read a really interesting piece the other day um, from a, a kind of colleague playwright of, uh, on Twitter talking about how the Irish play has become almost a genre. It's like, I don't think porcelain fits into the idea of the genre Irish play of 
I don't know. I mean, what, what is what, an Irish what pie? What, exactly. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I definitely think we're, we're, you know, the characters are, it's kind of, you know, based on me being Irish and moving to London, I suppose, and that interchange. And Tell me when then Bridget Cleary uh, and that real life story made its way into uh, your creation of Porcelain. Um, so I start, I was thinking about the main, about Hat, the main character and her kind of dealing with, I suppose, depression. Um, and then I came across the story of Bridget Cleary and the idea of a changeling. And I was really interested in the idea of a changing being a kind of uh, metaphor for depression and that, that being something that's empty and you look the same, you sound the same and people who don't know you that well won't notice, but you are kind of hollow. So that was where the Bridget Cleary story seemed to me to be a, a lovely parallel to the story that I was already working on. And then once I put them together, that's kind of when the play sort of started to work. And that notion of depression and then within depression that you, some aspect all of you, 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 there's a disappearance of your whole self. Is that a recurrent theme in your work or is it just porcelain? You mentioned your first play. Is that something that came up in that one? Um, not so much in that one, but it's definitely in. Yeah, I think I think it's something I think about a lot. The idea of disappearance and the idea of um, I read this again, a tweet the other day that was it was a quote from someone. I can't remember who now. I'm sure we can Google it. But I was the quote was we think we want to disappear, but really we just want to be found and I feel like a lot of my plays are about that notion because um, the play another play I'm working on at the moment um, is about a woman who is looking for she hires a water diviner and she's trying to find water on the grounds of her house but she's actually looking for her daughter who went missing and the diviner is trying to find because diviners can allegedly find people as well as so yeah again it definitely comes up a lot in my work I would say. So the positioning of the outsider in your work there's very much the other in porcelain I mean Bridget and Michael uh, Bridget herself is an outsider in the fact that she is a self-sufficient uh, woman. She, you know, she has her own career. Did I just imagine that? Is that a notion that you have in your work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was fascinated by the idea, by Bridget being this modern woman stuck in 1895 in some ways. Like, because she earned more money than Michael. She um, was very creative, very, and got, took a lot of satisfaction from her sewing, from her dressmaking. Um, and I think he was threatened by that. Um, and yeah, I was definitely drawn to her as a as a character. In terms of the outsider in my work, I'm not really sure. I feel like being a, for me being, being a writer and being an outsider feel like the same thing because it's like you have to kind of it's like the uncomfortableness of being in the world is where I think a lot of and you're <laughs> probably stuff comes the eternal from. <laughs> observer as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I work because I work on the box office of a theatre in London, and the best part about it is watching customers come up to the desk because you can observe so much about someone just from the way that they ask you about a ticket or the way they kind of you know do a customer service interaction. So I do think, yeah, I find that interesting. You're you're the, you're always watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Not that sounds creepy, but yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> Trust me, my <laughs> anything some normal thing creepy. Yeah. Um, I was watching the preview uh, on Friday and this recurring theme of water. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a reference to water the whole time, uh, whether it was the christening or rain uh, between Bridget and Michael. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that, if that is uh, evident? Yeah, definitely. I mean, thanks for noticing. I wanted to weave a texture to through their world of water and then that kind of becoming the blue silk. So my idea for it is that sort of the gold silk is... Bridget's internal life and then the blue and the water is kind of her and Michael's life together that sort of starts to fall apart Um, so that's kind of what I was trying to do with that and it's also just to kind of pick those scenes out of to weave them more naturally into the modern world I think in a sonic and kind of visual way it's nice to have a thread of something 
Oh, OK. <laughs> um, did you draw any conclusions about the Bridget Cleary case? Because I suppose there's always a, a reference to whether um, yeah, it is depression or whether it is a psychosis on the part of the husband. So it's more really about the husband and the fear within him. Yeah, did you draw any conclusions about that story? Yeah, well, I, I mean... Um, I used Angela Bork's book, um, who, who she's drawn some amazing conclusions herself. But I think that um, I think Michael felt threatened by perhaps by female power or by women behaving in ways that weren't traditional. But I also think he felt a huge amount of patriarchal pressure from the society that he was in to keep her under wraps. And I, not it's not like I have sympathy for him, but I think that he wasn't a monster. I think he did something monstrous, but he he definitely. It, it took a village to do that, you know, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the neighbour had a quite a strong hand in it as well. And I suppose there was a pressure that they'd been married so many years and they were childless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, because there is that supernatural theme throughout, are you su- superstitious yourself? Um, no, I'm not. I'm really interested in what, like I'm not religious even remotely, but I'm really interested in what happens to you after you die. And like that, I guess. And I don't believe in... What do you, what do you think what happens? Do, I don't know. I mean, this is going to sound really cheesy, but I think that the only supernatural power in the world is love, and that when you die, you live on because people loved you, and you, that's how you that's how you live on. You live on in people's yeah, memories. In people, yeah, and like you know, um, or the, and I'm also really interested in like what happens to your cells when you die, and like what if they do end up in like a Hoover or as a coffee bean or <laughs> you know, yes, yeah. as well. Um, and I, I actually find that quite a I don't know. Nice idea. comfort. Yeah, in some ways, yeah, that your cells are are out there and they get turned into other things, and that matter begets more matter in a different form, and it all kind of goes around. That sounds very hippy dippy. There's comfort in that. Yeah. Um, so, porcelain is your second play. When do you deem a play a play? Like as you say, you you write it for yourself, but is it when it's produced that you kind of say this play is a play? Like when does it become legit? Um, good question. I don't know. Like. When does it become legit? I think when I feel it's like, when I feel that it's good enough to show someone, that doesn't have to be someone in the industry, it can just be a friend or someone whose opinion I trust, then it feels like it's, it's a thing that exists. So the fast rate at which, say, porcelain was plucked from the pile, has it had mentoring since or how many drafts since then has it been worked on? Or Oh yeah, no, I, I mean, I've done loads of work on it. And Jesse Weaver, dramaturg um, here, has done so much work with me and like has been absolutely amazing. And um, we were in touch a lot over Christmas, especially when he was like, you know, should have been on holidays, but he was at the end of his email anytime I needed him. So that was fantastic. So yeah, we did a lot of work. Although it hasn't changed massively, I would say, but there's been, I think, a sharpening, a tight, a, just a turning of the screw a little tighter to make everything just a bit better. <laughs> and when and when you when you kind of redraft something, is there ever a fear that in that work in that process that you might lose that initial spark or the 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 impetus the, the, with which you first began? Definitely, uh, yeah. And I think in some ways, because initially when I found out in no, end of October that this was happening in February, I was like, oh my god, that's so quick! Like I need more time to work on the script. But actually, I think if they told you, if they told me we're going to put this on in like a year. I might have panicked and I might have rewritten it so much that it became something different or became went backwards. So I do think, yeah, I think you have to know when to be like, just I'll just leave that now, you know. Oh, and when do you hand that work over? When do you say, I'm happy with that and, and you hand it over to the director and the dramaturg? 
Can you step away from it? I mean, I still haven't stepped away from it. <laughs> like, I've only stepped away from it because, because the actors have now learned the lines. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I think that there, in terms of... There does reach a point that when I'm writing that I feel I can't do any more until I've had some processing time. So I'll put it away and I'll go and do something else or I'll work on something else. Um, so I think, I don't know, I just tend to know when I'm like, that's enough now for a bit on that. A bit of distance. Yeah. Um, well, actually, on that, like, how much mentoring do you take on board? I, I suppose you have to stand your ground so much, whether that's in the rehearsal room or, or as you hand that script over. I think I can feel, I think, I, I hope I have a good handle on when a note is needed and when it isn't or when like, yeah like I wouldn't I'm not precious like I'm, I'm really I think theatre is a collaborative art and that's why I like it one of the things I love about it Cahill and I the director have brilliant conversations about the script he's made the work so much better just through those conversations and obviously through the work the show <laughs> that he's made <laughs> basically so yeah I mean I think I have had to stand my ground on a few things it's been a great process I would say Will you talk a little bit about your background is it a creative background? No, my parents are, my, they're both doctors, so my dad works in the School of Public Health, he runs a School of Public Health in UCC, and my mum is a um, haematologist in uh, Cork University Hospital. Do you remember what you first wrote and, and what that was about? Um, or were you always just writing? I was always writing as a child, like, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I do remember writing, I do remember turning a short story that I read into a, a one-page play <laughs> and, like, acting it out with, like, dolls when I was like, I don't know, six or seven. I have a vague memory of that. Um, but then I think I didn't realise that being a playwright was a thing. So I was like, I'll write novels. Because I'd re- I read, all I read was novels. So that was what I kind of was trying to do, I suppose. Um, and it was only when I started to do acting classes that I kind of realised, well, I don't particularly like acting, but there's something in this that I do like. And then the, the writing side kind of just came together, I think, from there. And do you remember the first play that would have had an impact on you? Yeah, I mean, I saw Disco Pigs in the Granary, not the original production because I was too young, but um, a kind of revival. And I thought, this is so amazing. And I, I think up to that point, I thought that plays were like, had to be in a, set in a living room and be kind of like people with their knives and forks and like dinner table silences. That, that was the, my impression of plays. And not that that, not that that was something I didn't like, but it was more like I didn't see myself or where I would how I would fit into that whereas when I saw Disco Pigs I was like oh my god you can just write this thing with two people and you can use this incredibly poetic language and you can write about the place that I'm from and people will, will want to hear about it so that was a big a big moment I think yeah when, when you're writing do you um I mean they, I suppose they always talk about musicians and doing their first album and the difficult second album so when you when you put or is there any of yourself on the page for of porcelain of for porcelain and um, and then what do you do when you kind of pour all of yourself into that first and second play. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of myself in it. I'm not, you put yeah. something of yourself into every character and like, I think if you want characters to, if you want people to love characters, you have to love them yourself first and like that, I try to do that with like all of them, Michael as well, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I know there's a huge amount of myself. I mean, I've worked on this play on and off for four years. So that's a lot of time really for something that's 80 pages. <laughs> well, you see, that's the thing. See, people would have the impression that, you know, you wrote it only a few months ago or something and it just, you know, you, um, someone submitted it on your behalf as well. Yeah. Um, actually, talk about that. Would you mind? Yeah, of course. How did so, that come about? Uh, well, it was uh, Deirdre Halloran who works at the Soho um, who's kind of had met me in, about another play that I'd written and she'd read Porcelain. She said, I think the Abbey might like this. And I said, well, I've sent it other places, but I don't want to send it to the Abbey until it's perfect. And I feel like it needs, you know, two or three more drafts at least before I could of course it's never going to be perfect but as you know I felt like I wanted to get it better before I sent it here and she just said look I'll send it in 
as, as is. Why don't, why don't I do that? So I said, okay. Um, and I'm really grateful to her for doing that because I don't think, I don't know, would I have sent it myself? Like, because I just felt it wasn't quite ready to be read by the sort of Abbey, you know? <laughs> yeah, that whole kind of sense of the Abbey kind yeah. of thing that, that would put you off. Because it's like the BBC in, Lon- in England, I guess. Like when you go on their writer's submissions, they always say like, don't send your script until it's ready because we'll only read it once. And like, we'll never read it again if we don't like it. You know what I mean? So you'd so, one shot. Yeah, exactly. The sense of like Hamilton, like not throwing away my shot. Kind of, <laughs> you know, you've got to like, I, I was just like, you know, if I'm going to send this to them, it has to be as good as I can possibly ma- make it. And I didn't feel that I had got it as good as I could possibly make it when Dee sent it in. Um, and I hadn't, because I obviously have been working on it since. But um, but I think her point was that it was ready enough for it to be read. Yeah. That I should should have trusted more in that, I suppose. <laughs> so you, you're based in London now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working at the Royal Court yeah. in the box office there. Yeah. Um, so will you tell me about, say, leaving uh, Cork? Or is it, or are you leaving Dublin? Cork. I've never lived in Dublin, actually. Lived in, no. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Because yeah, I went to university in Cork as well. So, yeah, I haven't had much time here. So, so you, you leave Cork for London. So... What was the impetus for that? Yeah. What led you to that? Well, I, I was thinking about moving to Dublin. So I applied for, actually applied for an entry-level job at the Irish Times. I got I got to the group interview stage, which was utterly terrifying and no further. Um, Why the Irish <laughs> Times you were thinking journalism, obviously? Yeah, because I thought, I, I mean, I've always wanted to just write and I just thought this will be cool. I mean, it would be, it would have been amazing, but also I was heinously underqualified and not surprised I didn't get it. So I applied for that. And then I also applied for the Rough Magic Seeds programme and I got an interview for that as well. And they said, like, come back to us in a couple of years. Like, we like your work, but, you know. Um, and I was like, fine. So then I thought, what else, what other playwriting things are there in Dublin that I could do? And I just couldn't really see any other schemes. And I, I wasn't really ready to do an MA at that point or, you know, so I just, I just then I decided I'd apply for the Young Writers Programme in London. And if I got it, I would go to London and I did get it. So I thought, OK, off I go. And that was ludicrous, really, because it's only a 10 week course, one night a week. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm going to move here to do this. But obviously, you know, then I got a job and all of that. Yeah, there's always that sense that when, you know, well, you almost have to move away to be a success. Um, I suppose I'm trying to grapple with the idea that you had to do that in order, like... I mean, I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, yeah, I, I don't know what that is. Because it's funny that, my, for, you know, my big opportunity has come from Dublin when I've been in London for the last four years, you know, meeting theatres and kind of... And, and doing work in, on the fringe and stuff in London. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird one, I think. <laughs> I just think that there's more... Obviously, London's a much bigger city, but there's also more schemes for emerging artists in the UK than there is here. Um, and and, and they, they love new writing. You know, we love new writing too, but I think there's a special emphasis on that in London and, and there's just so many different... I've done so many amazing kind of free schemes um, that have helped me along my... Like, I did a two-week residency in Oxford as well that was completely free. It was for under-25s and um, they pay for your meals. They, they just And you just work on your play for two weeks with like two amazing playwrights, you know, like yeah. stuff like that. There's I, so much more opportunity. I, that, I mean, that's kind of how it felt to me. I mean, now that I know a bit more, I'm like, I know there's lots in Dublin as well. But at the time, that's how it felt. You think, obviously, this uh, having uh, porcelain being produced on, at the National Theatre um, on the Peacock stage, uh, this will open up more opportunities for you. This will be a passport to mm. other things. Uh, where do you think you'll go from here? I'm, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm just thrilled to be able to I'm just thrilled to be able to continue to work part time. I mean, I, I I have like a year of writing time ahead of me, which I'm really excited about. That luxury, I suppose, of time to be able to write full time. Yeah, I mean, it's such a luxury and like not everyone works well that way. 
But I am someone, like, I'm not a morning person or a night person. Like, I am a 10 to 7 person, you know. So if I had a day job, and I, when I had a full-time day job, I found it just so hard. And I have been, you know, I've made my lifestyle as frugal as I possibly can in order to claw back time from my job to use to write. And I really, like, those days are sacred. And I really try and keep my Monday to Friday daytimes, like, as writing time. You know, and even if I'm just sitting staring at the computer for hours, it's still the discipline of it is really important. Yeah, will you talk to me a little bit more about that discipline? Because, yes, do you work better with a deadline? Definitely. I think every writer works better with a deadline. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, it just pushes you. And I, I use, like, I use external deadlines like competitions and stuff um, to to kind of push me forward. Even if, I, if I've not got a commission or I've not got anything that's like an actual pay deadline, I will still use those kind of or I'll get a friend to I'll say to my friend I'll send it to you in two weeks or whatever and then that pressure you put on yourself really helps I think and yeah whose opinion do you value um oh yeah I mean lots of my friends who are great writers um uh who, who will bounce stuff backwards and forwards between each other I'm in a writing group in London um with my friend Maud it's run by her mum Jessica and we all meet like once I think it's every two weeks or sometimes once a month but we're all working on plays and we've been working on them for kind of over the period of kind of six months or so and that, that structure is really helpful you know and just having people to chat them out with is so useful and um, what stories are you yet compelled to tell compelled to tell I'm not sure I do you mean like in terms of like national conversations or like no actually just more about I suppose it comes back to how you are as a writer I would suspect that most writers need to write so is there any story that you as a writer feel that you need to tell that you need to get down on paper yeah, well, I'm I'm pretty um, I'm working on something at the moment that's about uh, a girl who has OC, like really severe OCD, um, and I think that I feel like I need to write about the way that OCD because OCD is a very ritualized thing, and I think theater is a very ritualized thing, and the two forms seem to me it seems to me the perfect medium to tell a story about OCD and and to not actually tell the story but to show people how it feels, and I think theater is a great medium to show people how it feels to be in XY situation. I mean, any story does that, I suppose, but theatre to me feels like um, it does it really well. Um, there's a Virginia Woolf quote I love, which is, or no, it's Caroline Duffy talking about Virginia Woolf, and she says um, that she writes, her writing is the language of what life feels like, and that's what I'm most interested in trying to get to, I think, in that. So I think this story about oh, this girl with OCD, um, and it's a, another girl that she meets, and they kind of fall in love, and they're very different, and how they sort of overcome that is something that I'm really excited to write. God, that's really intriguing. <laughs> how do you measure success? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, how do I measure? That's, that's a hard question. I'm trying more increasingly not to pin my self-esteem to writing, which I struggled with definitely in the past. And like, you know, going down holes of Googling other writers and what they've done and how old they are and comparing myself to them. And that is really, really bad for your mental health. And anyone who wants to do that, don't do it. <laughs> Just don't do it. Um, really, you so feel a pressure even at your age that you should be achieving more or you should be ahead. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I put that pressure on myself, largely speaking, too. But I, I know a lot of my peers would feel the same in that there's, there is a sense of, you know, other people are doing stuff and why am I not doing it? You know, I've definitely felt that in the past. Um, so I, I try to, I think I measure success by how, if I'm able to write, like what all I want is to be able to write full time and to exist and be have enough money to, to live my life. Um, and if I can get to that point, that would be brilliant.